Hello, and welcome to The New Beyond, a podcast that invites listeners to learn how to not only think outside the box, but learn how to live outside it, out in the new beyond, where comfort zones are history, and we're tasked with learning how to navigate this brave new world. I'm Dr. Judith Rich, an octogenarian, coach, and author of the best-selling book, Beyond the Box. I've spent the last 46 years in the field of transformation, coaching people all over the world, how to identify and break through old patterns and limiting beliefs that have kept them stuck and challenged to progress their lives in the direction of what matters most. In this podcast, I'll be your guide. And from time to time, we'll hear from some interesting people in the field of transformation and others who by example are out there courageously tearing down old walls, reinventing themselves and building their lives in the new beyond. Join me as we begin an adventure in going beyond where you think you can go. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider and don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. I'm ready. Are you? All right, let's begin. Hi, everyone. Welcome. This is Judith Rich, and you're at the new beyond. I want to dive right in with all of you today and introduce you to a friend and colleague of mine, somebody I've known for probably over 40 years. And I'm really excited for you to meet my friend and a very amazing human being. Wait till I tell you about Blaine Bartlett. Blaine Bartlett consults, advises, and coaches worldwide with leaders, executives, companies, and governments. He's personally delivered programs to more than 300,000 individuals and has directly impacted more than 1 million people worldwide. Wait till you hear what Blaine has been up to. He's an adjunct professor at Beijing University. He's the managing director of the Global Coaching Alliance. He's a longtime member of the Transformational Leadership Council. He serves as a member of the teaching faculty of the American Association for Physician Leadership. Blaine sits on numerous boards, including the board of directors of the World Business Academy and the Unstoppable Foundation. But as, as if that's not enough, wait till you hear this. In 2012, Blaine was formally invested as a Knight of the Sovereign Order of St. John of Jerusalem Knights of Malta the world's oldest humanitarian organization. I can't wait to ask you about that one, Blaine. Blaine is the author of five books, including the number one international bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. And his new, newest book is The Leadership Mindset Weekly. Blaine has his own podcast, The Soul of Business, and he's done three TED Talks. And I think it was your most recent TED Talk that you did, Blaine, where our my path converged with yours again in that I watched your, pad, pod, your TED Talk and something jumped out 
that I, you know, I said to myself, I've just got to talk to Blaine on this podcast. So first of all, welcome, Blaine. I'm so excited to have you here at the New Beyond. Judith, it is absolutely my pleasure. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you. And thank you for that introduction. I, uh, <laughs> I, I provided and most people don't, uh, you know, they'll, they'll kind of you know, chop it up in, 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 in pieces and whatnot. But I you know, was kind of like, wow, I, I want to listen to this guy. <laughs> <laughs> You've been really busy for the past 35 yeah, busy, plus years. Yeah. You've been very, very busy. I, I see that the sun is shining right in your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I, that's okay. Well, I'll just slide over here. Yeah, you're <laughs> a trooper. The show must go on, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so you and I have known each other uh, since probably the late 70s. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've been really busy. You've been really on the path. But I would like to start kind of at the beginning of your story. Um, you talk about, in your TED Talk, you talk about having grown up on a farm in Oregon. And I also got my start on a farm in Northern Michigan. So I connected with you at a level that I had never known about you before and connected with you before. And as I, as I read your bio and your resume and what you've been up to, I'm curious, how did that Oregon farm boy get from there to this whole path and journey of humanitarian and leadership accomplishments? How did that all come about? How did you get from there to here? <laughs> boy, I, yeah, I, yeah, jokingly, I, yeah, I, my answer to that would be, I just followed my nose. Um, but yeah, and joking aside, I just followed my nose. I mean, quite frankly. <laughs> uh, That's um, how, kind of how it works, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it really, it really does. Uh, I got, you know, I mean, I've been curious all my life. And I think that's one of the aspects of growing up on a farm that, uh, you know, that, that I've carried forward uh, is just curiosity. Curiosity about how, you know, when you plant a seed in the ground, how does that corn stalk emerge that now is 12 feet tall? I mean, you know, things like, it's kind of like out of that little thing, what's the mechanism by which that occurred? And, you know, the idea of, of life, you know, I mean, what is life, you know? Yeah, I mean, it truly is an existential question that speaks to, for me, the uh, the notion of what are, you know, where did I want to go? And I, I mean, I read Maslow. Uh, I, you know, I, and the curiosity um, actually led me to reading. I started reading when I was oh, I think my my first memory of reading was when I was about five years old, four or five years old, and. Uh, yeah, and mom was reading to me, but yeah, you know, I would I was very curious about how these things on paper you know, were translated into the words that she was saying, and I started reading, and I, a voracious reader. I, you know, I mean, I had uh, I read War and Peace by the time I was uh, out of grade school. Oh uh, wow! I mean, I mean, it was things like that. Uh, I remember, uh, you know, in, uh, in, uh, Leon Orris's uh, Exodus. I, mm -hmm. I read that. Uh, in the sixth grade. I mean, and that thing was, you know, 1200 pages. Yeah. But I was curious. I was curious. And, and books gave me access to different worlds. 
Yes. And, and that's what curiosity was about. It's a different world, the world of that seed, the world of that tree, the world of the cow, the world, these different yeah. worlds. Um, yeah. And I, I just kind of went from there. Um, that's, that's yeah, that's so interesting. That quality of curiosity, I can also relate to very much. I always had a curiosity um, uh, you know, I moved from the farm when I was about four years old. So I grew up in the city, but I was always curious about human being. Mm -hmm. And, and even as a kid, I wanted to know what, what, what's their story, you know, what makes a person tick. So yeah. that quality, that characteristic of curiosity I know has taken you on a lot of adventures in your life, hasn't it? Oh boy. It, I mean, it really has. I, I have uh, run dog sleds above the Arctic circle. I've uh, whitewatered in uh, the steppes of Russia. I've you know, taken a canoe down rivers in South America. I mean, I've you know, run out of air at uh, 80 feet scuba diving. I've uh, flown gliders. I've flown parachutists. I've wow. um, flown aerobatics. Yeah. And it's all, I mean, it's curiosity, just curiosity. How does, how does life get stitched together? And, but you know what? I think it's also, in addition to curiosity, isn't it also your willingness to say yes to yeah. all of that? You know, it's like your curiosity opened you and the universe gave you lots of opportunities to explore all of the gifts and the adventures but you had to be a yes to all of that. Yeah, I mean, when I said I followed my nose, that's essentially what saying yes was about. It's yes, kind of yes. Like, that's interesting. Let's go see what's over there. You know, sort of what's behind that cupboard. Uh, what, 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 what do you think were some of your early childhood experiences that built that um, level of trust in yourself and confidence in yourself that really allowed you to follow your nose and trust that process and follow it and be a yes. You know, where, where do you think your confidence and courage came from? That's a great question. Um, you, you know, I think for most people, uh, we're early on shaped by our interactions with our parents and, and whatnot. And, you know, my dad was a serial entrepreneur. Um, uh -huh. He would get an idea and he would just go test it out. And um, yeah, he didn't like uh, running businesses. He liked starting and building them. And yeah, a and, true and, entrepreneur. True entrepreneur, truly. I mean, um, and you know, this was back in the uh, 19, you know, well, I was you know, kid in the fifties. So I mean, he, he ran, a, he started a trucking company because he thought that would be kind of cool to do. You know, uh, he you know, was a butcher. He ran a grocery store. He was a salesman. He uh, decided he needed uh, <laughs> to learn how to make pizzas. So he opened a, a pizza parlor, one of the most successful pizza parlors in Oregon at the time. Uh, he wow. you know, got into making artificial cheese before artificial cheese was around. And oh my goodness, he, he would just get into different things. And some of them worked, some of them didn't. But I think what I pulled from that was nobody's going to take my birthday away if I stumble. Uh, <laughs> let's just yeah. get out there and see what happens. And, uh, and did you see your father stumble oh, a yeah. lot? Not a lot, but I saw him stumble. Enough, uh, enough. Yeah, enough to know that, yeah, there's, that's, yeah, doing this isn't without risk. Right. Uh, 
Yeah. But the big risk was in not doing it. My dad was very alive. Mom and dad had a great marriage. And part of that I know was the, uh, the element of adventure. I mean, they worked together for their entire married life. Yeah, they were, they were true partners in that, in that sense. And, and I think that was another thing that uh, to kind of the answer to that question. A lot of this stuff I've not, I've not done on my own. I, I mean, it was intended, or the intention was, yeah, exploration and curiosity. Let's you know, get that satisfied. But doing it by myself is kind of, well, that's okay, but I, it, it needs to be shared in order to be rich. And that richness, I mean, I, yeah, so I'd, I'd look at my parents and that richness of that shared experience was one thing, but also they were supporting each other. And uh, it's not to say they didn't have arguments and all that other stuff. They certainly did, but you know, they supported each other a great deal. So in my life up to this point, I've been very you know, fortunate, I guess would be one word, but also deliberate in, in seeking out ways to be supported. I don't think anybody gets through life successfully uh, on their own. You know, we, we've got to find ways to, from either a community perspective or a partnering perspective, you know, move, move ourselves into unknown territory if we're going to be growing and living. And yeah. that's done with other people beside us. Yeah, you know, and, and working with uh, entrepreneurs as the people that I coach, I see that the ones who struggle the most are the ones who do exactly, or I'd say try to do exactly what you just described is going on their own and what we call lone wolfing, right? Yep. Yep. The lone wolves. Yep. I mean, we can only go as far as we can go by ourselves. Yeah. And then we really do need community. We need support. We need people to be able to supply what we don't know, we don't know, and what we can't see, we can't see. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I've worked with a lot of founders. And yeah, that, that migration point, that inflection point from, yeah, we've got it up and running now. Now let's grow this thing. Now to grow it, I need to bring in a team that can actually help me grow it. And that means I need to let go of some control. Oh, yeah. that's not okay. <laughs> no, right. you need to do that, but I don't want to. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Steve Jobs learned that lesson, I think, very quickly when the board of Apple fired him. Yeah. It was like, okay, you need, you need to, you need to figure out how you're going to work together collaboratively. And he, you know, I mean, Steve was still, you know, acerbic and he was still, you know, uh, pretty much of a, a lone wolf in a lot of ways, but he was very collaborative. He learned how to collaborate extraordinarily well. He couldn't have brought these things to market if he hadn't learned how to do this. And that concept of collaboration is one that you have been very successful in, in taking into probably a lot of traditional business structures and corporations. Am I right? Yeah. And yeah, yeah can you say a bit about how you, what drew you into take, taking the work of leadership dynamics and, and uh, transformation into the corporate sphere? Well, I'll go back to curiosity. Um, I noticed pretty early on in my uh, uh, <laughs> emerging adult life that most organizations seem to be pretty toxic to the human spirit. 
I mean, people would uh, be you know full of life before they showed up at work, and then they'd show up at work, and all of a sudden, it's kind of like they got constrained. They got put in a little box, and they would, I mean, uh, exaggerated here, but yeah, they would wait around to be told what to do, and they wouldn't really move until they were told what to do, and they wouldn't, yeah, speak up. Or I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, extremes to that, but the way that most organizations were put together was constraining to the human spirit. The human spirit wants to grow and express itself. And organizations didn't seem to you know, like that. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Control was the, the, the watchword. So part of what I started, and this is where you and I kind of you know, first intersected, was mm -hmm. the whole notion of the human potential. And mm -hmm. uh, the idea of, yeah, I, I have I have potential, you know. My spirit wants to grow, um, so the idea of awareness, the you know, I bring awareness into organizations. I bring awareness into the conversations that leaders have about how they go about doing what they do. And here's the way that I've defined awareness: it's not just about noticing things. Awareness is is uh, is a noticing of where the spirit that moves to and through me is either accessed or blocked. Mm. That's what awareness is about. Mm. It's where is the, where's the, where's the blockage? Where's, where's the bottleneck? And most people aren't paying attention to that. And spirit wants to move and given license, it will move in some phenomenally creative ways, exhilarating ways, beautiful ways. Yes, um, but those yes. Those, att those attributes typically aren't appreciated uh, in an organization. Yes, yes, and so I'm curious about how you managed to break through that organizational mindset that isn't particularly open or curious to these concepts of awareness and spirit moving and and collaboration and all of that. How how do you manage to pierce that uh, organizational, um, I'm looking for a word here that's escaping me in the moment, but I'm thinking of like, you know, like uh, arteries that harden. Yeah, the reification, the- Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> how, how do you manage to pierce through that and, and really have your message get landed? Um, early on, that was, uh... <laughs> almost a fool's errand um, <laughs> yeah. um but yeah more very character more, building for you i'm it sure was. it was very character building um yeah st stick-to-itiveness comes into play here in, in one sense uh yeah Early on, it was akin to you know, rowing up beside the Queen Mary in a, in a rowboat, kicking the bow and saying, turn, turn, turn. And you know, going, what is that pesky noise I hear? Uh, <laughs> and it just keeps going. Um, but more and more, people have become aware that there is a cost. Of, of, you know, and, it, and it's showing up. I mean, it's showing up in a lot of different areas. You know, climate change. I mean, there, there's a cost to not paying attention to the lack of aliveness in the organization. And this, you know, the, you know this, this started occurring for me in my work uh, in, the, in the 90s, uh, probably. So roughly about 25, 30 years ago, I started seeing receptivity. 
to this conversation about there's a different way to lead, there's a different way to organize an organization. And I, I mean, literally to organize an organization so that uh, you know, the soul of the business, which was the tagline on my uh, Compassionate Capitalism book, so that the soul of the business can actually move. And when that's allowed to happen, when you have access to soul, aliveness appears in the body of the organization, as well as in the body of the people. The language that's necessary, and, and partly what I ended up, you know, this is a long answer to your question, Judith, um, but what I ended up doing was I started you know, paying particular attention to the language that was spoken in these organizations, and language creates reality. It's also yes. a reflector of reality, so I started, you know, I had to learn the language. So when I was doing work with Nokia, as an example, I led Nokia's global leadership initiative or a portion of that, a significant portion of that for about 12 years, beginning in the mid nineties, uh, when they were just you know, a blip on the screen. Um, but one of the things linguistically that they spoke about was signal to noise ratio. Yeah, how much noise is in, you know, and these were you know, cell phones, yeah, and yeah. Right. Uh, Cell phone towers. You know, how do you how do you, you reduce the signal to noise ratio so you've got a clear signal? Well, using that kind of language in talking to the leaders, how do you reduce the signal to noise ratio when you're asking people to do something to execute on a strategic initiative to actually you know to to change something? And I you know real quickly found out that you know the problem with change in organizations and organizations are changing all the time. The problem with change isn't the change itself. It's the, it's the disruption to the relationships mm -hmm. that the change creates. Mm -hmm. um, and, mm -hmm. and that disruption to relationship has a linguistic uh, uh, analog to it. And it shows up like uh, resistance. Mm -hmm. It shows up you know, in a behavioral analog. It shows up as mm -hmm. resistance. It shows up as cynicism. It shows up in, well, let's just wait until this, you know, <laughs> until this passes. I mean, it shows up in a lot of different ways. And so I would ask questions about what's the cost of that for you? So you put it back in the context of return on investment. What's the, the cost? language that they can really hear? The language that they can relate to. And um, slowly but surely, you know, I would find leaders that were well, you know, willing to go, well, I know what I've been doing isn't working. Let's try something different here a little mm -hmm. bit. And um, mm -hmm. and. I had some leaders that were very willing to try that. Most of my clients, this is interesting for me anyway, most of my clients, I've got a client base that has been with me on average for 10 years, which is almost unheard of. That's in the so impressive. Now, one of my clients has been with me for 32 years. Oh my goodness. And yeah, that, well, that speaks a lot about who you are. Well, it, it's, it's about- And who they are too. Yeah. And who they are. Yeah, a willingness to learn, to grow, to explore, to- uh, to pay attention to what's really important. What's really important isn't the bottom line. What's really important is the aliveness of the people in the organization. If they're alive, the bottom line will take care of itself. That's actually how you define the purpose of a corporation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, could you talk about that a bit? The purpose of business is not to make a profit. Now you need to have a profit in order to stay in business, but that's not the purpose. The purpose of any business, and I mean this absolutely categorically, the purpose of any business is to enhance the possibility of thriving. 
for all life on the planet. And if your business through its products or its service is actually having people feel as if they get a chance to thrive in a, in, in a, in a bigger way or in a different way, you, you're going to have people you know, beating down your doors. You know, you're not going to be lacking customers. I think that's so amazing. And, and it's, it's such a transformation of mindset and consciousness, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I talk about that language is the technology of transformation. Yeah. You know, it's like, at least the work that I do with people in the public sector, it's a very low tech work, right? <laughs> There's no fancy technology that we use. Yeah. Except the technology of language and access to distinctions inside of that. Distinctions. Absolutely. I mean, people, I mean, I've worked around the world. I mean, probably 90% of my book of business historically has been outside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's global. I, you know, at mm-hmm. one point in time, my company, uh, uh, I founded it in 87 and we ended up with offices in five countries. And when I was working with Nokia, um, this was a Finnish company that was global by the time I finished working with them in the uh, early 2000s. They, they, you know, they, they, were, they were presenced everywhere. The working language was English, which was not native to probably 95% of their workforce. Wow. Wow. And, and they had you know, tens of thousands of people working for them, all speaking, or most of them speaking English in, in terms of their transaction of business with each other. Mm-hmm. So distinctions made a difference. So, you know, you would think that people would understand English words, but they didn't. They had nuances. They had subtleties. Virginia Satir said yeah, that yeah, language or communication is simply the ways that we use to work out common meaning with one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we use words assuming that everybody knows what they mean. Yes. And they don't. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and, then, and, and then they're more off to the races. Things get all screwed up pretty quickly. <laughs> you know, I, I've been thinking about this client that you worked with, that you've worked with for 32 years. For you to be in consistent relationship with a client over that arc of time, that must, you, you, are you still working with them? Well, COVID has put a little bit of a damper on it, but yes, I am. Yeah, yeah it's a Japanese client. Uh, they they are you know, they're based in Japan. Nobody nobody in the company speaks English to speak. Yeah, they can read it. Yeah, yeah many of them, uh, but nobody, yeah, particularly at the senior level, nobody, none none of the senior managers, the leaders that I work with, including the the president and chairman, speak English. That's a long journey to be in with someone, yeah. you know, I mean, as a coach, um, you know, I might work with somebody for a year or two or three, but 32 years, that's, that's, that's a lifetime for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, it is. And I'm thinking about the ways in which it must have stretched you as a coach and as oh. a, as a consultant how did it stretch you to be able to be out in front and mentor that same client or that same organization over such a long arc of time? Uh, that is, I got chills with that question. That is such a great question. 
And uh, honestly, I think it informs, you know, that relationship informs everything that I do in, in one way or another. It, it truly has been uh, seminal in, in terms of how I've not only built my business, but how I live my life today. Um, I've come to the notion that all an organization is, all any organization is, is a collection of people that are in relationship. That's, that's all an organization is. You mean Mitt and, Romney was right that organizations are people, my friend? People are my friend. And but what's interesting about this is that the most interesting or the most obvious is the interpersonal relationships. My relationship with you, my relationship with my coworkers, my relationship with my customers, all that kind of stuff. The interpersonal relationships. But there's also relationship with vision. There's relationship with values. There's relationship with workspace. There's relationship with equipment. There's relationship with everything in the organization. And when you begin to understand that everything is a function of relationship quality, then you start having opportunities for sustainable long-term work together. And success starts to come because you're paying attention to the right thing. You're paying attention to the relationships. If the relationships and all their forms are working well, you got a pretty good shot at being successful. Now, here's how I crack the code on this. Yeah, you know, I say crack the code. Do tell, do tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you and I both are very familiar with an exercise that we've done uh, for eons in the personal development space called the red black game. Mm -hmm. Okay. Prisoner's yeah. dilemma is another version of that yeah. or another way of describing that. Yeah. And one of the takeaways from that has to do with the nature of being right. And which is the reason that people get entrenched in their points of view and they end up voting the way that they do. And, you know, the need to be right. The need to be right in relationship is probably the single greatest dynamic that is present in any relationship. The need to be right. Now, the way that right gets defined operationally is it's anything and anybody that is operating in a manner that is consistent with my belief system. Yeah. And if that's if, right. If, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that so constitutes if, right. Yeah, that constitutes right. It doesn't mean it works, but it's right. Okay. Right. So I mentioned that nobody in this company you know, speaks English. I don't speak Japanese. I've been in Japan for 32 years, but I, you know, my Japanese is, I can, I've got taxi cab Japanese. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I can get lost and found and order a beer while I'm waiting to have somebody pick me up. That's me with uh, my Chinese. Yes. Exactly. I Chinese understand. Chinese. But this idea of being right, I had to be willing to let go of my need to be right. I had to be willing to explore where my attachment to being right was coming from. Was it more important for me to be right or was it more important for me to have the relationship I said I wanted? And yes. that question yes. has served me so well. Would I rather be right or would I rather get what I say I want or value? And so that becomes the question that you invite the organization we, into. We had stuff early on in, my, in that relationship. Yeah, I, I won't go into a lot of detail about this, but you know, there were breakdowns. Yeah, and I imagine. And, and I was asked, I mean, there, in one instance, um, yeah, I had done something that I didn't think was egregious in any way, shape, or form. It was just kind of like, well, of course I would do this. You know, coming from my culture, my idea, my, you know, my belief system, my value system, no problem. It was an egregious 
um, offense, offense. <laughs> and, and I was going, what's the big deal? And my interpreter is going, no, 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 you don't understand. This is a big deal. And here's what's going to happen. If you want this relationship, here's what's going to happen. They're going to have you come into the meeting. And it's a meeting of the chairman of the company, the CEO of the company. Um, and there were uh, two senior, uh, other senior. So there were, there were four people on their side. There was me and the, and the interpreter. And, here, and she, she said, this is a choreograph. This is exactly what's going to happen. They are going to uh, ask you to say, I'm sorry. And I'm going, but I'm not. And they're going, I don't care. Or she's going, I don't care if you are or not. Who cares how you feel? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, how you feel about this is irrelevant. Do you want the relationship? And I'm going, well, yeah, I do. I, I actually, I mean, they're, they're good people. I like it. So you're going to say, I'm sorry. And I'm going, well, okay, I, I, I can say I'm sorry. And as soon as you say that, the chairman of the company is going to take the contract that you have, the signed contract that you have, and he's going to tear it up in front of you. And you're then going to say, I am sorry again. It will never happen again. How can I make amends for this? And I'm going, I am not going to do that. And she said, your choice. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> or, and it was kind of every being, you know, every fiber in my being was going, this is wrong. Not consistent with my belief system yeah. about it fill in the blanks. Yeah. Well, I ended up doing it. I ended up just swallowing my pride, sitting there and you know, being, you know, kind of, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. You know, you know, the Japanese word for it was gomenosai. <laughs> yeah, literally, I'm sorry I was born. Uh, <laughs> he tore it up. And then it was at the end of that meeting, and it was a half hour meeting. At the end of that meeting, uh, we actually hugged each other. And um, we went on. The next week, I was back in a training room with them as if nothing had happened. We have still never had, and this happened 30 years ago, 28 years ago. We, we haven't had a signed contract since then, but every element of that original contract has continued to be honored. Wow. It was, yeah, the relationship wasn't defined by paper he knew it was defined by paper in my mind but now it's behavior that we're going to pay attention to he saw you i suspect as a man of honor and a man of integrity and a man of your word that's ultimately what it came down to you know it's my dad and i go back to my dad on this uh, my dad never had a contract with any of the business dealings that he was ever in everything was done on a handshake my dad, you know, I mentioned the trucking uh, adventure. Uh, he, he started a, a, a trucking company. At one time, he had three tractors and five trailers. You know, so it was a, you know, he was doing some pretty good stuff. Then the first gas embargo you know, hit here in the United States. And dad was, a, you know, the way that his business was structured, it, you know, he, was, he served as kind of a, a, a wholesaler. He would... You know, get contracts you know, or orders from, you know, he, and he serves uh, a number of independent groceries in, in some other uh, sundry uh, providers you know, in Oregon. And then he would buy from the provider and he would, you know, he would use his own cash to pay for the orders, bring them, and then invoice the, you know, the recipients. Well, he was left holding the bag uh, on a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of debt. 
And he could have easily declared bankruptcy. But I remember sitting with he and mom uh, as they were talking about this and both of them said, bankruptcy is not something we do. Yeah, you know, it's just not mm -hmm. something we do. Yeah. Well, it's an avenue, but it's not something we do. Yeah. For the next five years, uh, they dug themselves out from that debt and wow. paid everybody off in wow. full, not pennies on the dollar, but they paid them off wow. in full. And and then went on and, and they were, you know, and they had a successful life. I mean, it, they just continued to work. So they were great role models, weren't they? Yeah, they truly were. They, they role really model those really, really important characteristics of leadership. Yeah. For you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm thinking about um, in the with the pandemic, with COVID, with that there's kind of a term being bandied around called the great resignation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know about the great resignation yep. where people have been leaving their jobs, their corporate jobs, mostly in droves because they finally came to the realization of how soulless the corporate environment was for them, right? Yep. And uh, I'm sure that's touched the companies that you work with and probably... <laughs> Oh, probably potentially opened up a lot of new business for you because that's exactly where you fit in to a corporation is bringing soul into the environment. Yeah. And um, how, how do you see that? I, I think it's fascinating that people have suddenly woken up and they're no longer willing to spend their lives in a soulless environment. And so new businesses are being started. I mean, a tremendous, a tremendous transformation is happening. Oh, it, it absolutely is. I've, uh, instead of the great resignation, I've <clears throat> started calling it the great reclamation. Yeah, it's, you know, people are reclaiming their agency. Yes. Reclaiming the, yeah, the idea. Yes. Each one of us is an idea that is being formed on a daily basis. Each one of us is an idea. And <clears throat> this is where the idea of aliveness comes in or the notion of aliveness. That idea needs to be nurtured. And if I'm in an environment that is not nurturing my ability to be alive or express my aliveness, I atrophy and die. I mean, yeah. the idea of a rut, you know, I mean, and people will talk about, I'm in a rut here. Yeah. Well, a rut's just a coffin with the ends kicked out. That's all a rut is. You don't want to be in a rut. <laughs> so oh boy, that's great. Th this great, yeah, this great reclamation. Um, people are venturing out. You know, they're going. Well, yeah, I don't know how this is going to work. And and actually, that's where uh, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's a <laughs> it, it's an opportunity for a lot of people like you and I to actually serve these people in in uh, I think some pretty profound ways. Because a lot of times they don't necessarily know from a knowledge perspective what's required to, you know, start and build a business, yeah, a viable yeah. business. Um, they know that they want to do it, and uh, that energy it can get them a long way down the road. But there's things that uh, that I'll just speak for myself that I can bring in that I know that you can bring in as well um, in terms of counsel that says, you know. Have you thought about this? Pay attention to that. You know, this whole notion of mentoring as well as coaching. Yes. Comes into play. And that's what I find myself doing a lot today. Uh, 
<clears throat> I'm working with a young woman in uh, Finland right now that has gone out on her own, uh, single mother. And, uh, and she is just delightful. She's struggling a bit and she is so alive. She is, yeah, I, mean, I love talking to her. I love working with her. This energy is, is infectious and that's what's going to carry her forward. <clears throat> and part of my role is just to, uh, excuse me, uh, to, to bring some resources to bear and some ideas. And she's in one of my mastermind groups. Uh, so she's learning how to lead more effectively. Cool. Great. Yeah. You know, something that jumped out uh, at me, Blaine, from your, from your stationery that you sent me is the tagline, moving possibility into reality. And I teach and talk about that a lot. And I would love to hear from your perspective how that whole process works. How do we move something from possibility into reality. Go ahead. Go on out there into the new beyond on that one. There we go. The new beyond. Well, first of all, I'll just start with, a, with a, a, a fundamental premise that I work off of. Everything that has ever existed or ever will exist has been invented twice. First is an idea, and then it's manifested, manifested in physical form. It's already created. Yes. It's just not here yet in my yes. experience. So the idea of possibility, and that what leaders do is they, they articulate things so that possibility becomes visible for the people that they're working with. Yes. Then it's a challenge. How do you, you know, Steve Jobs is masterful at this. I mean, you know, the, the whole reality distortion field that people talked about. Yeah, he would talk about possibilities in such a way that you would start to feel that there's something here. Yeah, something could be done with this. Yes. That, it's that nuance from you know, possibility into probability. It's that subtle shift mm -hmm. from possibility into probability. And then it starts migrating into, if you actually get a hold of it, into, uh, into reality. The way the migration from no to yes is always through maybe. Mm. And so you want to be able to get people to a point of maybe. Mm. My granddaughter, who's nine years old, already gets that. Yep. <laughs> maybe is one of her favorite words. <laughs> yeah. And maybe is hard to argue with. Yes. Yeah. Because it's both, it, because it's both yes yeah. and no, it, it's yeah. neither and both. So it, it gives people the freedom to explore. Yeah. And, and so when you're looking at how do you move possibility into reality, the freedom to explore is one way that that happens. Yeah. You know, just giving people the play of the imagination. Um, yeah. Imagine. People, you know, particularly adults, Judith, they, they think imagination, you know, they, they, it's almost got a pejorative to it. Imagination is daydreaming. Imagination is yeah. something kids do. Imagination is spiritual sensation. Ooh, say That's, more about that. I love that. When you're truly imagining something, and this is how you manifest in life. I mean, if we go into this whole conversation around manifestation, <clears throat> Manifestate, manifestation is a function of sensation. When I imagine something so fully that I can smell it, taste it, hear it, feel it, and touch it in my imagining, it now 
is experienced in myself. It, it, it lives in here. It lives in me as something that is real. It's viable. Yes. Yes. I can taste it. I can smell it. I can touch it. I can hear it. I can, I mean, uh, yeah, all of that. In that realness, I then behaving as if it's already present. Yes. And it's that behavior. How I describe something determines how I feel about it. How I feel about it generates behavior. Behavior is what we use to produce tangible results in the world. So the, 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 the move from possibility to reality is one of working with the interior. Yes. I move it from consciousness. It begins consciousness. in consciousness. It lives in consciousness. Yes. I have to describe it in visceral terms. Yes. It, it, it is spiritual sensation. I love that. That possibility lives in spirit. I love that, Blaine. You know, I talk about, and it, the same exact thing that you've described, I use slightly different language around it. But, uh, you know, I talk about it in terms of that we must become the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual equivalent of the thing yep. uh, that we're imagining, of the thing that we want to manifest so that it becomes a visceral experience. Yeah. Emotion, that, you know, that emotional dynamic, that mood state, that feeling structure is the vibrational it, it, I mean, it literally is the vibrational frequency of matter. Yes. And yes. how I vibrate attracts. And this is the, the law of attraction is a secondary law. The, the primary foundational law is the law of vibration. Everything yes. vibrates. Everything is always moving. Yes. And if I can get myself to the frequency level of that, which I say I want to have in my life, it will appear. It can't not be present because exactly. I'm vibrating at that same frequency. Exactly. Exactly. And people will, yeah. I, yeah. We go back to, yeah. You know, how do you talk to people? Uh, in the, <laughs> I would. I can't tell you how many people, but yeah, early on, uh, not so early on, actually, uh, would say, "Well, that's just magical thinking." And, <laughs> and you know, when I first heard that, I was kind of going, "Well, yeah, I guess it is kind of magical. And I'm at the, I'm to the point right now where I'm going, you're damn right. It is, <laughs> you know, a magic trick. If, I love magic. If you watch a magician that is doing something phenomenal, doing an extraordinary magic trick, it's kind of like, Oh my God, that's real magic. Yes. And then if you get curious and you start looking under the hood and if you actually can figure out how it's done mechanically, what's the, what, what's the mechanism, the magic disappears. Then it's just a great trick. <laughs> now life when you start digging into how life actually works it becomes magical mm. when you look at how life is actually structured real life is it actually structured it's magical yes. so when people say it's magical thinking i'm going you're damn right it is yes. and it's magical doing as well it's magic you've got to get on board with this and and if if we as human beings got more on board with our own ability to be magical, our own ability to be magicians and use the energy and mm -hmm. work with the consciousness uh, that is already here. I, I find, you know, in working with people on a personal level, not corporations or organizations, but the people that make them up, that whole manifestation, this whole conversation is the biggest curiosity that they have people want to know about this so listeners 
I hope you're taking notes because this is pure gold. Yeah, it, this, it, it, you know, uh, Wallace Waddles wrote a book, 1910, called The Science of Getting Rich. And that book is mistitled, as far as I can tell, because it should have been titled The Science of Sustainable Success. Mm. Because what Waddles describes in The Science of Getting Rich is the blueprint for how life can be structured. And it literally is yeah, looking under the hood going, this is how that's put together. God, that's magic. This is the source of the magic. So, you know, for your listeners, if they haven't read this book, it's not a very thick book at all. You know, the science of getting rich. Forget about, you know, the monetary you know, thing about that. It's not about rich. It's about sustainable success in life. I how do I sustain it. success in my life? You discover how life is put together. That's how you do it. That's beautiful. Oh, my gosh. We could spend a lot more time here just on this one topic, but I want to shift gears just a little bit. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about humanity, and I know that that's a big piece of your heart and a big piece of your vision, just the collective and what's going on in the collective. So as you think about humanity and where we are today in the collective with everything that's happening on the planet, conflict, chaos, climate change, you know, racism, all the isms that are happening on the world today. What are your thoughts about where human, where humanity is in the collective? What are the major challenges and opportunities that you see for us as the human, as the family of humans going forward? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Are we going to make it? <laughs> <laughs> um, my own bias. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to make it. Um, now, whether we make it in the physical form in which we are <laughs> currently occupying, I don't know. But the spirit that is who I am, the spirit that moves to and through me is indestructible. So now that may seem like a cop-out. It's not. Where I'm going with it is that the universe, God, consciousness, uh, you know, whatever label you want to put on this, 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 this life force that moves to and through me, it moves to and through everything. Yes. It is generative. It's always seeking advancements. It, it's always seeking greater expression. The universe conspires towards goodness. Yes. The, the, you know, God conspires. It's not a God is not punitive. God is not judgmental. God is a beneficent, generative source of creativity and of life. So if I just land on that, I can't not be optimistic. Yes, I agree 100%. And, 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 and. <laughs> and. we, I, if this is, yeah. Every new beginning requires a dissolution of what went before. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is catastrophically done. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's easy. Um, most times, however, and I'm going to say all times, it is incredibly disruptive. Mm -hmm. So I think we're going through as, as a species right now, we are on the precipice of some immense disruptions mm -hmm. that can, if we are paying attention, allow us to move to a higher level of both consciousness, but also connectivity. I, yeah, the idea of compassionate capitalism, 
you know, is, is predicated on the notion that everything's connected. Everything is connected. And I need to uh, treat all the stakeholders uh, in my business, you know, biosphere, ecosphere, as if they are just an extension of myself. Mm. Yes. And that consciousness, if it can be, if, if it can take root, can allow for some unbelievably beneficial and I think extraordinarily useful as well as joyful opportunities for thriving to occur. Will we have to go through angst? Well, right now it looks like we might have to. Um, we are. We yeah. already are. We are. Yeah, we're yeah. in the middle of it. I am not pessimistic. Uh, I'm you know, pretty optimistic. I don't like what I see. I mean, I'm certainly you know, not you know, jumping up and down for joy with what's going on in Ukraine or any, yeah, you know, with the planet. With I mean, yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot of concern. So when when you and I, I I'm aligned with what you said about the universe conspires towards goodness in the direction of goodness. Mm -hmm. I'm absolutely aligned with that. How would you explain to someone then <clears throat> what we're currently? I mean, like. When I watch the news and I see what's happening in Ukraine, just as a, our most pressing immediate example, how do we explain goodness coming out of this? Yeah, yeah. Part of that has to do with the perspective of time, I think. Yeah. Um, we as humans have a perspective on time that is constrained. You know, it, it usually is it, it framed in about a well, we'd like to think of it as a hundred year chunk, but for most people, it's about a 70 to 80 year chunk. Uh, you and I are gonna be some significant exceptions to that. Uh, <laughs> but that, that timing uh, is, is myopic in the sense is we can't see the big picture. You know, we see right. what's going on right now and we go, oh my God, this is calamitous. It looks horrible. It looks horrible. Yeah. And we make judgments about it's good, it's bad, it's right, it's wrong, it, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, indigenous Americans, you know, the, the notion of seven generations, do something, yes. you know, you know, attend to yes. whatever you're doing with seven generations in mind. Yes. Um, you know, one of my TED Talks, uh, I, just, I started off by saying, everybody on this planet is going to be dead in 100 years. Mm-hmm. Every single one of us is mm -hmm. going to be dead in 100 years. So just take mm -hmm. that as a given. Uh, how you die is going to be how you die. Um, we're going to be dead in 100 years. What are we leaving behind is part of the question. So part of the question then becomes one of what am I dying into? This mm -hmm. is what nature does. Everything in nature dies. Sometimes it's vicious. Sometimes it's just kind of a natural you know, dissolution. A leaf falls off a tree and it becomes compost. Um, Everything dies, everything, but dying isn't to be considered as an end point. Yes. It's a transition point. Yes. And yeah, we get preoccupied, I think, with the form <laughs> of that dying. Yeah, to our detriment. Yes. Uh, and it's, it, it's egoistic. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I think that I am my body. I'm yes. not my body. I, I'm using this body right now. It's a, it's a pretty good vehicle for me to move through, through life with. Yeah. Uh, I love the sensations that I get to experience. But there's a point where I'm, it, it, it runs out of utility. Um, and the spirit looks continuously to grow, to expand. 
So this is a metaphysical perspective. I mean, it truly is. And you have to be willing, I think, to suspend attachment to form long enough to allow the idea to actually express itself in its fullest, uh, fullest glory. Wow, that's so beautiful, Blaine. I, um, we could go on and on, but I think this, this feels to me like a, like a beautiful conclusion to this conversation. I, I'd like to just thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. I know uh, my listeners are going to love hearing from you and love hearing this conversation. I'm really, really honored that you were willing to be here. I love conversations like this. I am, you know, Judith, thank you for the invitation to sit long and talk much. Oh, <laughs> you guys, I'm going to put in the show note how you can, uh, how you can connect with Blaine if you're interested, how you, where you can see his TED Talks, where you can find him on LinkedIn, his website and all that other kind of information, Blaine's five books, uh, his podcast. We'll put all that information in the show notes for you all. And again, Blaine, thank you so much for spending this time with us and wow. helping my little baby podcast that's learning how to crawl, grow <laughs> some legs. <laughs> it's going to be running before we know it. Thanks again, Blaine. My pleasure, Judith. Many blessings to you, my friend. Much love. Take care. Bye-bye. When someone first suggested I do a podcast, my first reaction was, yeah, I, I actually have been thinking about it for a long time and it sounds great, but I have no idea how to create and put a podcast out there. Can you hear me arguing for my limitations? Well, no sooner did those words come out of my mouth when two angels appeared and said, no problem, we've got your back. Those two angels are Veronica Arbolita and Justina Nielsen, my producers. My thanks and appreciation to both of you for making this podcast possible. It would not have happened without you. And lastly, I want to thank you, dear listeners, for your support of this podcast. Thank you for your reviews, for all your five-star ratings, and for helping us find our audience through your Facebook shares and posting on other platforms. We're still in our infancy, so every time you share a link to this podcast with others, you're helping us grow. And I'm extremely grateful. We have some very interesting people joining us in the next few weeks. So you won't want to miss a single episode until we meet again out here in the new beyond. Thanks for spending time with us. Many blessings and may God speed you on your journey.